Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Movie Beat Conversations with Filmmakers, where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what to and what <laughs> what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. I can't even get through my own intro today. How do you like that? All right, well that's one for the archives. We we will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and the information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker. Or a fan, and so now let's move behind the scenes here at Movie Beat. I want to tell you my guest today. I'm excited to have him with us. Is Mr. Doug Richardson? He's written uh, both screenplays for films. He's written novels and books. He's written for television, and he's going to be coming up in just a moment. And I'll tell you all about him in just a moment. Also, the chat room is now open. If you're listening live, you can join us in the chat room. All of these interviews are recorded and available. Uh, at my website, the official website is rexsykes.com. That's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com. I'm your host. That's my name. And that's the official site for Rex Sykes Movie Beat. They're also available at the iTunes store as podcasts. So you can get them from podcasts anytime. Listen to them 24-7 and uh, take them with you wherever you go. Now, the only thing we ask of you in exchange for providing you with this fabulous information and these wonderful guests because my guests truly are a resource to you. Uh, they're professionals who are in the trenches every day who are sharing their expertise, their know-how, their experiences, their ups, their downs, all that, their, their what to do and what not to do, their advice, their tips, their golden nuggets and secrets with you so that you can advance your career, make your project, complete your screenplay, uh, you know, break through in acting uh, quicker, smoother, and less expensively. And in exchange, all we ask of you to do is to share the website, to share these interviews. If you love my guests and you like the information that you're getting from them, then spread it around. That's all we ask. Share it. Make it available to your filmmaker friends and industry connections. And also, leave comments. There's a player that you're listening to the show on right now, whether it's live or archived. And uh, there's a, a little window underneath the player. You may or may not be able to see it because different browsers have have different things. Sometimes you have to wait until the player is finished and closed before you see the comment window. But please do leave comments. Leave comments during the show or bef- after the show, uh, live or archived. You can tweet about it live during the show, or if you listen to it archived, go ahead and put it up on Twitter, put it on Facebook, but spread it around. It helps us become more visible on the Internet. It increases our ranking. It uh, makes my guests more visible, my show, the information available to others. So uh, that's what we ask of you to do in exchange for getting all of this fabulous information and meeting my guests absolutely free. All right. Well, let me, without any uh, hesitation, further hesitation, uh, introduce my guest. Doug Richardson's screenwriting credits include Die Hard 2, Bad Boy, Money Train, and Hostage. He's also co-produced Welcome to Mooseport, and he's authored three novels, Dark Horse, 
true believers and the latest safety expert. He was born in Arcadia, California. He's the son of a career politician. He grew up outside Sacramento and inside the state capitol, and he used to talk his way into the then-Governor Ronald Reagan's office just to get a handful of jelly beans. Now, Doug left Northern California for Los Angeles to attend the University of Southern California School of Cinema. And for as long as he could remember, Doug wanted to be a movie director, but in pursuing his goal, he discovered how movies are really made, and that's in the writing. So after finishing college, he signed a two-year contract with Warner Brothers, and in 1989, he garnered national attention when his spec screenplay was the first in Hollywood to sell for a million dollars. Doug's first feature film, the sequel to Die Hard, Die Harder, was produced in 1990. He has since written and produced feature films, including the box office smash Bad Boys and most recently Hostage. To date, Doug's features have grossed over $800 million worldwide, and in 1997, Doug's debut novel, Dark Horse, was published by Avon Morrow in hardcover, followed two years later by his follow-up, True Believers. This year, Doug self-published the third novel, Safety Expert, and he continues to write and develop for feature films and television and is currently working on a new book, Blood Money. All right? So help me welcome Mr. Doug Richardson to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. How are you doing, Doug? Uh, very well, thank you. I kind of want to meet that guy you just uh, talked about. Me too. Me too. Sounds <laughs> fascinating. Absolutely. It's Absolutely. weird that's hearing your, your own bio, you know, somewhat ready. You have to... Yeah, wait, so you're sitting there listening to it. Yeah, yeah saying, that's true. And you're, and you're captive. Yeah. Really? Jelly beans? <laughs> what kind of jelly beans? Did you just take a handful, or did you have to pick out certain colors? No, he he let he opened the jar, and you got to reach in and grab a handful. He had wow. the, the famed jelly bellies. And, uh, oh, did, he really actually did love those jelly beans. He was a sweet uh, guy. That's amazing. That is that's truly amazing. I mean, how many people can say that? So that is that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's kind of it's I used to kind of think it was sort of odd, but now I think it's actually kind of cool. You know that that it's it's a wonderful childhood memory. Oh, I bet. I bet. That is awesome. Um so so uh, and how has that influenced you to today? <laughs> oh, I've I have no idea. <laughs> and you know what? I'm not sure I want to know how it's influenced me today. You know, there's, I've, I've I've written about politics quite a bit, so maybe that, you know, that that's where it's 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 come through. Of course, my father, who's the career politician, would like to think it's all influence, but let's not talk about him. <laughs> all right. Well, so what we were going to do is we we're going to talk about screenplay writing and about getting into the business. Now you were at USC. Yeah, I was at USC. Yeah. And and but you because somewhere you decided that you wanted to go into movies and you wanted to be a director and then as your bio states, you know you discovered that movies are made in the writing. So can you tell us a bit how you how you came to do what you do now? I mean, um, what was that journey like? How well, did, the how the, did the writing thing was there, there was no formal writing program when I was at USC. There is now, you know, which is uh, terrific for for writers and stuff. Along with you know quite a few other universities but there was none then but it was uh it was pretty pretty obvious then a lot of the the directors i admired had you know gotten into the business via writing and at one point they'd written something and that seemed to be the best way uh i thought at least uh the best pathway to to directing and and getting noticed in hollywood so i 
you know, began writing screenplays and uh, with the full intent to eventually, like uh, like most screenwriters today, I still think most screenwriters want to become directors one day. So, you know, that was just my journey. I began writing, and I, then I wrote another one, and I wrote another one, and then I got an agent, and then I got a job, then I got, you know, you know, I just, I never took the directing turn. Right. That There's time yet, though. I could still change my mind. Well, you, no, absolutely you could. <laughs> you <laughs> I mean, there's nothing saying that you can't. Do you, do you ever wish to direct now? I mean, is that something that, uh, having been in the business now as long as you have, um, and and written for as much as you have, do you ever ever want to direct something? There's a lot of me that still wants to direct, which is part of the whole, you know, wish to control your work part of showbiz, especially as 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 movies go. The yen went away when the directing opportunities were making themselves available to me and we were expecting our first child. And I, one thing I did know about directors is generally they're, and I'm saying generally, some of you directors out there and some of you director friends of mine, you know who you are, uh, generally directors don't make good parents. <laughs> because, you know, when you go make a movie... Uh, you're you're pretty much gone for a year, and you miss a big chunk of your kids' lives. So what I did is I made this weird left turn, and instead of directing, I wrote a book. And strangely enough, that directing yen went away pretty rapidly once I'd written the book, because suddenly I had that kind of control. Uh, suddenly it was, you know, it was all mine. There it was. You know, as Larry Kasdan once said when we were talking about uh, my first novel, actually, he was asking me all about it, and I was trying to explain about why the yen went away you know, to, to direct. And he says, well, why wouldn't it go away? You just directed a novel. You Not only did you write it, but you you shot it, you directed it, you acted in it, you scored it, and uh, uh, and and... And that's why he was so curious about it. He was wondering if he should actually make that leap somewhere along the line, and would that be so satisfying to him? It certainly was to me. Wow, that is that is truly, truly amazing. Um, I think that it, it it's just fascinating to think, you know, that uh, some people, you know, uh, think that they're controlling the elements, and they are. By you know uh, taking someone's screenplay and then getting it up in the screen, but but what you just said is really um, a, a fascinating position. You you are completely and solely in charge when yeah, you are there, when you're writing. Yeah, uh, you you know it's you, you you can't. The editor isn't going to save your scene, and the scene isn't going to get pumped up by your own score, you know, or by someone else's score. Uh, and uh, you don't get a test screening either. That's kind of, I guess you can get you you give. I guess the version of that is to give your book to a few people, your manuscript to a few people to read before you at least, you know, go to publish it. But still, in the end, it's it. You know, movies. It's it's very easy to say when you're working on a movie uh, until the picture's locked. Nothing's carved in stone. Well, when you actually publish a book, it's carved in stone. There it is. That is true. It's. It's printed well, I, and 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 that and you're stuck with it. Yeah, you know, in, in terms of nonfiction, and I had wanted to come out with a book, and I spent all this time writing and writing, and writing, and writing. It's still not come out. 
And people say, well, just go ahead and put it out. And I go, well, you know, I want it right the first time. And they go, well, that's what the second edition is for, <laughs> you know, <laughs> to correct all the wrongs, you know. <laughs> it's true. Or, you know, at the end of the day, it's what the next book is, you know, the, uh-huh. next, the, the next time you sit down and do it. Uh, you you might find ways to correct all those wrongs. Uh, and the, in the new digital age, you know, nothing prevents you from actually, you know, uh, Making those changes and you know re- rebooting it up on Amazon. No one's gonna know. That's 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 an interesting 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 point. That uh, yeah, I mean in the digital age you can correct it, you could change the ending, and no one would ever ever suspect that's, except for that. If they that's just what I was thinking just now. You know what? I really think this ending isn't working. I think I'm gonna change it and not tell anybody. <laughs> That's that's actually quite awesome. Yeah. You, know, you, you if if yeah no that's that's interesting. Amazon uh, you know you just take it down put it right back up. Right. Wow. Well that's that's very cool. Um, let me ask you. So the, the how about the, the difference between writing a, a screenplay and a novel, and because um, <clears throat> now we're you know I'll, I'll be honest with you. I hate writing, reading screenplays. I just absolutely hate it. Uh, and, but occasionally, occasionally I come across one that I read and I go, "Wow, that was actually good," you know. And it, and but there's something about that skeletal thing that it either flows or it doesn't. And you know, versus a novel, I mean, there are there are certain novels that are harder for me to get into than others. But but I can I can typically I can read you know a narrative, uh, an authored book as opposed to a screenplay much much easier. That, and that makes sense to me. I find reading screenplays to be very difficult also. I don't find them to be uh, – I think flow is a really, really good word. I, I, don't, I don't really feel the construct is such that it's, 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 it's something that you really want to sit down and dive into and read and fall into. I feel like you're, you're always – you know, aware of the artifice, and you're always aware of okay, it's an exterior, and okay, I gotta think of being in. I'm in an exterior right now, and plus, plus, you know, screenplays you have to be spare with them. Um, you only have so many pages. Uh, they have to be very brisk, and uh, and so you have to sort of pretend you're like a movieola running the movie through it. And mm-hmm. you know, in a book, I think the the point of one of the joys of writing a book, but even more important, the joys of reading a book, especially fiction, um, is uh, is you just sort of you know lay back and let the the you know buckle up and let the writer play pilot and take you where he wants to go. You really don't have to hopefully work at it so hard when you're reading it, you know. But screenplays, I think, are a bit of work to read. But there's probably well, a lot think, better way to construct them if we actually began to discuss it. Well, maybe we can. Because, I mean, I think what happens with me with the screenplay is I tend to get lost. I tend to, uh, you know, it's like, okay, we're here. I, you know, and I ask different people, and I've done this for, you know, 40 years, but, I mean, I ask different people, and some people say, you know, I only read the descriptors. I don't care about the dialogue. Cause dialogue may change. And then, you know, I tend to read the dialogue and, and kind of, gloss over the descriptors at some point because I get, okay, so-and-so walks into a bar, you know. Um, but when I really sit down and I try and read everything, then I find myself 
somehow going, all right, now, um, I better go back and read this again, you know, just to make yeah. sure. Yeah, and if you don't read everything oftentimes in a screenplay, you did miss something. And it, I think it takes a lot of discipline to read it right. And then, you, you you know, we're in a business where I think people read them sometimes much too quickly because they have so much to read. And and when you're writing them, I mean, I, I actually love the process of first draft to production draft just for many reasons. But one of the reasons is when you're writing the first draft, I'm very aware that I'm writing this for the reader. So it tends to be more writerly because uh-huh. I want it to flow. I want the reader to get everything because I'm just trying to put a movie in their mind. But when you get to production, finally, and you're actually writing for production, right. you know, you're writing the dialogue for the actors. And you know when you're writing the, di- the dialogue, it's just for the actors. And and the director doesn't really need you to be writerly. He just needs you to be descriptive enough so when, you know, the production uh, uh, department uh, sends out all the different colored pages to the different department heads that they're going to read it and say, okay, I need to have, you know, two clocks on this table, and I'm, I need to have uh, 25 extras in this scene. So it's it's much more of a schematic, you know, for the movie uh, once you get to, to production. And I find that, so much easier in the end when you you're writing for that. I mean there are other issues when you're writing for production at the end, but you don't need to be writerly anymore. And and the script suddenly has morphed from something that is supposed to be somewhat literary to, you know, it's a it's a schematic for you know, for a building you're trying to uh to to, to construct. So it's and and screenplays do take on if you look at the production drafts of a lot of scripts. They're not pretty. Well, right. I think that's an important point to make, uh, again, because you know I'm not a studio guy, so I, I get scripts from different places that aren't necessarily, I think, from writers who are thinking, I have to, you know, they may be first-time writers, too, or maybe they're, maybe they're more advanced writers, but they're not, they're not going, I have a reader here. You know, I mean, they're not exactly. thinking along the lines that the first person to read it is the gatekeeper, whether it's the the executive producer or whether it's the the reader reader. So, uh, you know, you you, uh, you see, I see all these scripts in various. They're different. You know what I mean? Like some seem like they're trying to appeal to a reader. Some seem like they're production scripts. Some some are blends of in between things. Is there a, a particular? I hate to say it, but kind of formula for success. Uh, or tips or suggestions in terms of how somebody should approach the task of writing a screenplay to get it read? To um, make it easier? Wow. I don't know if there's a formula, because I really don't believe there's any formula, um, mm-hmm. and especially the wants and wishes and different visual fetishes of people who read scripts in 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 town to move it to the next level seem to change, you know, and evolve over time. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, the, it's of late. It's been, you know, what someone recently said was it was was asking me what's the special sauce? You know, the script's going to need some special sauce. His way of saying uh, stuff that's going to uh, look like effects driven 
uh, moments in the movie or or effects-driven action sequences, and that tends to be something that someone might want to read now. Like, wow, I could, you know, we could CGI the daylights out of this and it'll look really awesome in a trailer. So that might, you know, that might really turn on that reader versus something, you know, from 20 years ago. You might have wanted it to be very just character-driven or character-based. Um, as far as your first screenplay or something, uh, or, or a screenplay which you're writing to get, you know, in the door, um, you know, I, I always say the only formula that a writer really needs, whether it's writing a novel or whether it's writing a screenplay or just about anything else, is to keep in mind when you're writing it and when you're, and more importantly, when you're rewriting it. Um, is, you know, why is anyone reading this and why would you want them to, why should they turn the page? You're trying to get them to turn the page. You want them to be compelled to turn the page until they get to the end. You want them to want to turn that page and get to the next moment in the story. Be compelling. So whatever you need to do to be compelling, whether you're writing a comedy, whether you're writing a drama, just make me want to turn the page. And I think that's, uh, that's the best thing I, I I can offer anybody. And that's what I, I try and say to myself every time I go through and I reread my own work or I'm rewriting my own work or I'm looking at a blank page, which is why the hell is someone reading this and why would they want to continue on? Right. No, that's awesome. Um, you know, for example, I mean, some people, you know, tend to put, you know, uh, camera directions you know, or cut twos, or right. or things in 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 their reader script as opposed to the you know letting the director, you know, and work on it toward the production script. Um, we don't need that now, right? I mean, we just we just want it to be a readable page turning. Definitely don't do that. Even though you don't have to do that, I would say. I mean, my writing has evolved over time. I'll actually throw in a shot or an angle or something, uh, but it's only there to put an image in the reader's mind that they're watching a movie. I want you to feel when you're reading the script that you're watching a movie. So if I say, I mean, so generally I'm not putting in camera directions or stage directions or blocking. I want to give you the, it's you know, it's impressionism. I want to give you the impression that you're seeing something and hearing something from a screen. So if by throwing in a shot, for example... Uh, uh, gives that gives the reader that impression at that moment. Terrific. I think what a lot of writers get stuck on is this cut to angle on, cut to you know this you know and and, and making the screenplay almost a veritable shot list. Uh, then I think it makes it really really hard to read. It's still words on paper. You're still want you still want it to flow for the reader. And like I said before. The first draft should be for people reading them, you know. And by the time you get to production, um, then they can, you know, the depending upon who the director is. Some directors, I've worked with directors who seriously want you to put in everything in the kitchen sink so all the departments, and even he is reminded what he needs to do in the scene, to where others want the the least amount of description possible. Please just give me dialogue, give me, 
give me a shot slug, give me some dialogue, and and throw in the occasional uh, direction if that actor really does need to lift that cup of coffee to his lips at that moment. But other than that, they just right. would like it to be very spare. So it, again, it dep- you need to fit. By the time you get to production, you need to fit the needs. When you're actually writing it for the first time, write it to be read as if you're writing a book. But now, see, again, I, I, I consider this really golden information because, you know, you're talking about, you know, the first presentation or or the first impression of the screenplay and, and, and getting it read. And then what's added as the production, the development is the production commences, you know, and, and, and how you might uh, be instructed to um, make changes. And, and that's important because uh, readability and and having a great story and great characters and 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 making it a page turner so that if I'm producing you know if I'm if I'm the guy with the money that I want that I I want to I want to greenlight I want to say yes to this thing. I I had a the, my last movie was Hostage with uh, my French director friend Florencerie, and there was there was at one point when and and, and he actually actually rewrote the movie uh, with with him in the room which was a definitely a new experience but he was terrific he let me write the movie and 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 such but there there were there were moments when he would come over and he would say could you add this could you add this could you add this in in description and I would turn to him and I would say you know what when it comes to production and or uh later down the road write the stuff in the margins and you can go tell the different department heads what you need I'm still writing, since we're not a full green light here, I'm still writing this to be read by people. And as long as I'm writing it to be read by people who are trying to decide whether or not they're going to invest gosh knows how many millions of dollars in this film, then we're not going to add all that hoo-ha to, you know, to the description. So, But for him, he wanted it all there. It was actually a bit, bit of a, a, t- a tussle between us because he was used to, as a French director, pretty much having everything... That he needed it, you know, written into the description, and as long as it was something that was still needed to be read, still needed to flow as a story, um, for producers and financiers and such, I was going to keep it as writerly as I possibly could. Do you think, and you know, I, I preface the question with the difference between a screenplay and a novel. Do you, you know, and again, I get, diff, you know, you read different books, you hear different information. Some people say, well, you know, fill it kind of with prose, you know. So, you know, it was it was a bright and cheerful day and he strode down the, you know, the road. And other people say, no, you just write, he walked down the, you know, the road uh, and let everybody else fill in what it is. Do you have any, any feelings about either of those examples? Uh, yeah, but it goes back to kind of what I said before, which is you're trying to write something that gives you gives the reader an impression of they're wa- they're watching a movie, and um, as long as you're brisk and efficient and moving on to what's supposedly on screen and what we're hearing and what the characters how the characters are introduced and what they're saying, you can be writerly. On a bright, cheerful day, he walked in, blah, blah, blah. Or he can be, the door opened, he crossed to the desk, he sat. Um, all of the above works if it fits, if it fits your style. And, and if, you know, there, there is room 
in a screenplay to have your own voice and to make it sound like you wrote that, 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 that a writer wrote that screenplay. Or, uh, and so there are really no rules for that. I've read screenplays by Academy Award-winning writers that are written like very brisk novels, and I've re- read screenplays that have won Oscars and stuff that, are, that read like a, a play where it's just dialogue, enter, exit. You know, David Mamet's early screenplays. Uh, that I, I, they, they were, you know, they couldn't have been more than 90 pages long, or less, because it was just dialogue and, you know, so and so entered, so and so exited, so and so sat. I mean, the description was barely there, to the point where I'm sure it drove the studio to distraction. But that's how he wrote, uh-huh. and it worked for him. And again, but you know, again, once you find your voice, once you've sold the screenplay, when you know, I imagine that it's a little bit easier to say that's how I do it and have people accept it than 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 breaking through. But before before I let before we talk further, let me just do this. I want to say that you have a website. It's rec, it's dougrichardson.com. That's d o u g r i c h a r d s o n dot com. And yes. you also have a blog. Can you give us the blog? Yes. Well, it's, it's there. You just click on the blog button, or just somewhere. You know, if you scroll down on the right, all the blogs, the the recent blogs are there, and uh, and it's a really good site for. Well, it's a very entertaining site, generally, uh, but especially for people in showbiz or who are interested in writing. I have my own weekly adventures in the screen trade blog uh, that I do. Um, that is is a very it's 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 very entertaining. My my wife complains that that I I tend to want to tell more about my disasters and mistakes than my my uh, successes, but possibly because the life of a screenwriter in Hollywood is probably filled with more disasters and mistakes. And I just actually think that stuff is a lot more fun to read and fun <laughs> to write about. Um, so there's a lot of you know how tos, and there's a uh, lot of well, don't do it this way because it turned out this way for him. Uh, stories, uh, but they're weekly and they're they can be read and digested in five minutes, uh, and uh, and they're really really lots of fun. So I highly recommend people go there and and read. And you can sign up for email alerts and and you, weekly you you will get a little email alert that says click here and you can go read the weekly blog and. It's good stuff and it's fun, and, and I really, really enjoy doing it. Well, that's awesome. It's good. It's good to hear. I, I, I want to let everybody know a little bit what's going on behind the scenes here. Uh, while you were talking, my my timer said the show was going to end and completely end, and I had okay. to try and log into no, no, and I tried to log into Live Help to have the show go its normal course, and I got Live Help, and they said, "Okay, great, we'll we'll help you, and we'll be back in a minute," and then. Disconnected me from live help. So meanwhile, the counter is tipping. Now I want to make sure that I get your web address in there in case we got cut off. And I, to, I got to be honest, I don't even know if we're broadcasting live at the moment. But I suspect we are. The- we could be talking to ourselves. But, um, but, uh, and, and I'm trying to get help back because they they set the timer, but not for the right amount of time. So it's it's just amazing what happens. Um, but I, but this is very cool because um, you, you're you're helping us imagine. Uh, you know, if if I'm a writer starting out, or if I'm a writer who's who's trying to gain some success, the goal in mind, 
and I guess you should just crystallize it. You know, it's the kind of thing you should put on your mirror and go make it easy for the reader to read. You know, and and that doesn't necessarily mean to be simple, though. It just no, means it just be, means be, make it. You know, make it compelling. Compelling. You know? There you go. Compelling, compelling. I mean, that's the primary reason people read anything is the number one, and and we all do it. It's our instinct as human beings, as readers, is, is this interesting to me? Is it not interesting to me? <laughs> is it compelling to me? Oh, I think I'll read the next paragraph. I think I'll turn the page. That's what you need to do. You need to be compelling. I, I mean, William Goldman said it, you know, really well uh, in his book, Adventures in the Screen Trade, which I read just before my career began. And it's still all true. There's so many truisms in the book, but one of which is the person sitting down to read your screenplay doesn't want to like your screenplay. He wants to love it. He or she, they want to love the screenplay. They want to have an emotional response to it. They want to be compelled. So be compelling. Awesome. How does how does how how does the uh, now, now that we've said that, um, and we we certainly haven't exhausted it, but now that we've said that, and I want to get my script read, and um, it, it's the concept of, of feedback and and how the how and the most important process of writing. In other words, when I start a script, I create a draft, but that that's that's not the one I'm going to turn in, right. because the saying is it's not writing is never it's not good writing it's good rewriting is that <laughs> writing is rewriting oh, is rewriting writing is, is rewriting. Oh, rewriting right it really is you know you got to work it over and work it over and work it over make it better and then get feedback and learn how to use feedback and we can talk for hours about feedback and and that's fine I'd love to but let me give a shout out here and and maybe a little primer for your uh, for, sure. for for your audience, there's a a wonderful blog site uh, for Script Mag called Balls of Steel, written by Jeannie Bowerman, um, and uh, she she weekly or every or biweekly, you know, does, writes you know helpful hits, hips, tips and hints for 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 writers, and she she gets a lot of tips and hints from uh, from from other writers who are working in the business. Um, and it's very helpful. She, I collaborated with her on one uh, not too long ago about getting feedback. So you can go online, look up Jeannie Bowerman, or look up Script Mag, Balls of Steel, um, scroll through that blog post and those lists and look for the one on feedback because it's a pretty detailed, uh, detailed blog about not just how to get honest feedback, but how to figure out what's honest and what's not about feedback. Because the hardest part about feedback is getting honest feedback, and and that's an art unto itself. Cool. Now, when it, I just want to know how can you do? You have the spelling for her name that we can give out. Jeannie Bowerman. G E A N N E Bowerman. B as in boy. O W E R M A N. If you do a web search just for Balls of Steel Script Magazine, it'll come up. Okay, because I you get a lot of uh, all the steel, as in steel, uh, steel-toed boots. Right. Yeah. Now there, I found it. I, the reason I uh, I asked was because just as balls of steel, you came up with everything other than the writing. Other than ball, yeah, I would. 
aspect. You probably have a very interesting uh, screen right there, Rex. Filled right. All so balls of steel. All right. So that's that's awesome. That's a, that's a nice shout out for for her. And I. Uh, I it's will, a, it's uh, a really great blog, and there's tons of very practical information for screenwriters, especially screenwriters trying to break into the business. Because that's primarily what that site is aimed at. Very cool. Now, just to to accentuate, and, and you've t- and we've touched on it, but the difference between we'll, we'll go with the different the differences and advantages of writing, you know, both screenplay and novels. Now, the novel, from from my understanding, you know, when I think of a novel, I'm I'm typically whether it's a first person narrative or not, I'm I'm I can be inside the head of a character. Yes, and and know the thoughts that are going on and and what they're evaluating or their decision making process. Whereas in the screenplay, you know, unless that's written as part of the um, the, the screenplay itself, I'm 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 it's it's, it's a different kind of structure. Yeah, it's pretty much verboten. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it it's pretty much what you see and what you hear in a screenplay. Whereas in a in a novel, you you get to place you know psychiatrists, psychologists. You you know you can get inside a character's head. You can have a fist fight between the characters, between the character <laughs> inside his own skull, um, and that's one of the great joys of writing books and, and 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 novels and straight fiction is that you you are as a writer you're unconstrained by uh, the very very strict construct of a screenplay. Um, you can make left turns instead of right turns. You don't have, you know, if a scene is lasting more than two pages, you can continue on. Where there's certain rules and regulations of the road in screenwriting, which is be efficient, be brisk. If a scene is more than two pages long, you better relook at it again, and uh, and and you have to move in and out of scenes very very quickly and find ways to compress and and and. Uh, accelerate the story uh, where, again, as much as you need to be compelling, like I've said too many times on the show, uh, uh, in, a, in, a, in a novel, there, it's just there's so much more elastic and there's there's so much m- more room to write almost. Oh, that's, that's cool. That's very, very cool. Um, any... Um, suggestions for the novelist that that we can um, uh, pursue in the same way that we did regarding the screenplay. As far as get, getting read or actual writing. Well, bo- yes, but the, <laughs> it, it's so. <laughs> so I would imagine things. it is. Well, explain that then, because I mean, the, the, there is there is the process of the actual writing, and and the goal being, I hope, to get it read. I don't think that for me the process of writing, whether I'm writing uh, my blog, or whether I'm writing a book, or whether whether I'm writing a screenplay or a TV pilot, I don't think they're any different as my approach as a writer. I'm still sitting down. I still have a, a, an outline. I still have a goal. I have certain story and plot points I want to hit that day or that week. And I'm working my way towards the end. Um, to me, the process is 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 no different. Um, 
I think because novels and fiction writing, there's so many different kinds of fiction, so many different genres of fiction. Um, how and what you write is so much more up to the writer, other than it's his job that within the genre is to write something, you know, that is obviously interesting to somebody else. If it's not interesting to another reader, then it's not really you're not really communicating, you're not writing so much as it may as well just be a journal if no one's gonna want want to read it. As far as getting read, that world is evolving uh so fast right now. The publishing world is especially in the fiction uh the the, the genre fiction even more effectively is kind of imploding on itself much the way the music business did so many years ago. Publishers are having a hard time trying to figure out how to stay afloat. The self-publishing world is growing and expanding, which is phenomenal for the writer, uh, not only because the writer has so much more control over his his own work and, and can, from a financial standpoint, can keep a bigger chunk of it. Uh, but uh, the you're, it's not entirely up to someone in a house, as in a house, as in a publishing house, on some floor of a high-rise in Manhattan, uh, someone who's underpaid and and reads way too much stuff to even know what's good anymore. You know, you need them to say, yes, I want to publish this. Uh, so the world of getting read and getting your work out there as a novelist uh, is the Wild West now. There are no rules, and uh, it's and it's very very exciting. Uh, of course, you can the standard way is you, you you get an agent, and they submit to publishers, and maybe a publisher publishes you and pays you a pittance, but. You get it in hardcover, and it's on a shelf in one of the dwindling numbers of Barnes and Noble or other bookstores around the United States, and you know you get that kind of little juice for seeing it on a on a bookshelf there. But uh, so it, I, I don't think it's the way to go anymore. What is the way to go? <laughs> well, I, I do think the self-publishing world is the is is the future where writers become their own imprints, and and they upload their books on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Smashwords or whatever the di- di- whatever the digital format is and uh and start a website and get out there with social media and go out there and get yourself read. Uh you're it's no longer up to someone sitting in an ivory tower of sorts to decide whether or not your work or your story is publishable. Yes, it invites a lot of people who can't write to enter that world so there's going to be a little more garbage to swim through but if you're if your stuff is good you're going to find an audience and and you're going to get read which I think is the important thing as a writer is you want to get read you want your stories to be told sure you'd like to to make some money at it and that will come but uh it certainly is great that you're you're not uh, that that your work is not whether your work is read or not is not left up to someone sitting on you know the 11th floor of a building on Fifth Avenue in New York City. 
do you um, – because somebody said this to me the other day, and I and I found it kind of surprising, and uh, I suspect they, they were talking about, you know, the, the uh, wood and mortar type of self-publishing where um, – you know, you're printing a book as opposed to uploading it to a Kindle or to Amazon. Um, they were like, it's just so costly to self-publish today. And, and I was a little shocked by their statement, but they were like, going, it's, it's, it's almost prohibitive. And I was, you know, and, and uh, I, I suspect it was published on demand. I don't think they're up to speed. I think I think they were thinking publish on demand, actually. I, I you know, Well, publishing on demand right now is phenomenal. And through Amazon... My book, The Safety Expert, right now, if you uh-huh. went to my site and clicked on the Amazon link, or if you went to Amazon and looked up my book, The Safety Expert, it'll ask you, do you want a print version or do you want a digital version? And you click on the print version and you pay the price, and the print version comes in a few days. And that print version isn't even in print before you click. And once you click, right. it goes to one of the four or five or six places that Amazon has working for them and uh, one of their, their outlets and the file goes in and they print the book and they send it to you and it looks good and uh, the printing quality is great, the quality of the book is terrific and it's very fast and very efficient so I don't get where it's cost prohibitive. It's pretty no, no, that's good, that's good news. I mean, I had looked into it recently and so that's that's uh, great information to have. I'm, until recently, to do it yourself, yeah, it's very prohibitive. And then you've got to cart them into bookstores and whatever. Yeah, that's that's where publishers were valuable because they had the infrastructure to, you know, print your book, to to warehouse your book, to ship your book, to you know the relationships with the bookstores to get it on the shelf. Uh, that's going away and. And no longer do you even have to be concerned about printing your book. I mean, you need to, once you get the proof of your book, you need to go through it like a publisher would to make sure there are no errors and stuff and make sure the printing quality is up to snuff and, and that it's printed on the font that you like and and uh, and stuff. But again, that's very cheap and very inexpensive now through uh, Amazon. Very cheap. I cannot tell you how cheap it is. It cost me Six dollars, I think, less than six dollars to publish a proof of my book. Really? So yeah. there's no it, with it, with the, if you if you deliver a, uh, I mean you deliver the draft, mm-hmm. you know, error-free draft as much as possible. I mean the setup fees used to be like a couple hundred bucks, but now but but that's not true now. Uh, yeah, it's not true. You, I wow. Mean, no real setup fee. Uh, there are um, there are you, the 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 interesting part about digital publishing is that with all the different sites, whether it's Amazon for Kindle or or Barnes and Noble for Nook or uh, the iBook and 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 stuff like that, uh, there's a different format which you have to digitally uh, move your book into for it to to work and sell on those sites and on those different. Uh, e-readers that are out there, um, and that it's not costly. Uh, it can be time-consuming if you want to do it yourself. There are services out there that do it for very, very nominal fees. Um, but when it comes to the actual publishing, 
you know, into a print book. It's just, it's a click. <laughs> and your book just prints. And they ship it to you. And it's cheap. Wow. Cheap. So but you guys out to... there who think it's it's cost prohibitive. I mean what what it's it's time consuming and time intensive after the writing to format your book, get it up on the get it up there, build your own website, create a social media presence, and go out and publish you know, and go, go out and spend the time to promote your book. But in actual dollars, it's minuscule. It's a cup of coffee at Starbucks. Um, that's that's fascinating. Now, I used to, I used to say, um, uh, that that the the gatekeepers. I, I used to use this analogy, and and correct me if it's wrong. I used to say that the the the, uh, the gatekeepers in the publishing world were the publishers, and that um, now with self-publishing, it, 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 this is good to know that in fiction it's it's as easy, or if not easier, than it was in the nonfiction world. But but at one time the the notion was if if you were a nonfiction writer, the route was to go self-publishing, and then the entire world opened up. It became cost-effective. Um, that you're able to do this now. The only the only difference between well, let me let me clarify. The gatekeepers in publishing, there were a handful of publishing houses, in the same way there were a handful of studios that would greenlight movies and and then allow them you know to to be made and then ultimately go to the distributors. Or there's a handful of distributors that would allow. There are gatekeepers in both sides. Self publishing revolutionized the publishing industry. Anyone now can do it, and as you say, now they can do it cost effectively. Um, it seems that that's happening in the movie world to some degree in that the consumer uh the the equipment is becoming consumer uh, available friendly, yeah. you don't you don't, friendly you don't have to buy film anymore you can buy consumer models you can buy software that allows you to do all of this stuff that in, in at your home essentially you can score the movie edit the movie you know you can animate the movie you can title the movie everything right off of right off of your own computer um, the the same truth is true though about both, and that is the internet is this vast sea of white noise, and to uh, be able to promote and market and get your product out there, um, you it's need to be trick. savvy. It's definitely a trick. The, the, the publishers still uh, have the they they still have the edge in that. Obviously, they have the distribution. They got the bullhorn. They got. Uh, they they have the reviewers, um, they have the relationships to to make your book stand out. Just like a you know, I mean, a, a, a studio with with a movie and a thirty five million dollar ad campaign, yeah, uh-huh. pretty pretty loud megaphone. Your movie's going to get, you know, your title is going to get noticed somehow. Uh, but that's changing in the publishing world, uh, and I do think it's. Changing in the film world, I think you still uh, there. There are ways to make your voice known in the publishing world. Self-publishing, you don't need the uh, publisher as a megaphone anymore. Uh, they're definitely a bigger and more well-oiled megaphone, necessarily, but uh, uh, than than the writer himself. But that is changing. I'm looking forward to it changing in the film business uh, because right now 
it's much easier to make a movie uh, on a low budget with all the stuff that's that's available to you and make it look like a really quality production. But unless you have distribution into those movie houses, uh, how to make yourself rise above all, as you said, I think really well, the white noise of the Internet is is still a bit of a mystery or an art form. Uh that it, that has escaped me, but I hope it changes. Well, yeah, I think I mean, and it's and it goes back to I guess that you know just because somebody can do something doesn't mean they should do something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Bravo. Um, yeah, because I mean, there's a lot of movies I see out there, you know, every day that that probably shouldn't have been made. I appreciate the the fact that if anybody did that and got it done. They invested a lot of time, effort, you know, labor, tears, sweat, you know, blood, the whole thing in it. But at the end of the day, it still, you know, isn't going anywhere. But at least they did it, and hopefully they learned from it. And the same thing would be true about screenplays or novels. That, that well, especially screenplays, and you and you would know that, having, I'm sure, read plenty of screenplays written by friends, relationships, right. relatives, right. that. Right. They've they they wrote that screenplay and they've all got them somewhere. It's in a drawer, or it's in a pocket, or it's in a file, and uh, and it doesn't necessarily mean it 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 needs to get read or should be read. It's it, the page length is right, and they went out and they bought the screenwriting program to help themselves format the script. But it doesn't mean it's something you really want to spend much time reading. Right. So, um, I mean, I'm finding this absolutely fascinating. What I'm going to do uh, right now, Doug, is is take a break and uh, let listeners know uh, who's coming up and uh, and and some of that little bit of information. We'll be right back. All righty. All right. All right. Awesome. Thanks for listening to Rex Sykes Movie Beat. The official web address is rexsykes.com. That's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S dot com. Please share this website, uh, these interviews with all your friends and your your, uh, movie-making friends and contacts. Uh, Please leave comments both during the show and after the show, whether you're listening live or archived, and rate and review uh, the podcasts uh, if you choose to download any of these interviews from uh, the iTunes store. My guest today is Mr. Doug Richardson. He's the author of three novels and numerous screenplays and films and and, and television. And uh, I'm so glad to have him here. We're having an enjoyable talk about uh, the process of screenwriting and and authoring novels. My upcoming guest, just so you know who's coming up, is uh, Mr. Nick Mancuso, actor, writer, director, uh, will be joining us on uh, the 22nd. And um, I have another guest coming up on the 27th. And I can't tell you who he is because I haven't I haven't put his name into the into the uh, into the queue yet. So uh, I'm not going to be able to tell you who that guest is. But on the 27th we have another guest. Uh, Laquanda Plant is coming up. She's on the 29th. Uh, she's a casting director out of Atlanta. We're going to talk about the the opportunities and the challenges of of working uh, as an actor and in film uh, in a regional area. And Atlanta is is doing an awful lot of uh, of uh, the movie business now today currently and so you're going to want to listen uh from her uh again on the 3rd of uh, of April I believe there's a guest 
Um, Sam Christensen is coming up on the uh, 5th of April. He started in casting. He works in management. He um, helps actors and and others brand themselves, and and, uh, you're going to want to listen to him. Frank Hanna is a screenwriter. He's coming up on the 10th. Peter Marshall will return on the 12th of April, um, and I will I will stop there, and we will uh, let you know more as um, as we progress. The uh, Girls Gone Dead, the movie that I produced in Florida, I co-produced and line produced uh, uh, back in 2010, is uh, uh, screening. It's a, it's a sold out one show, and the second show for opening night is. Uh, the 28th of March, if you're in South Beach area, uh, you might want to check into Girls Gone Dead. Do they have a, a opening premiere, a uh, couple shows the opening night, and uh, a VIP party, I think, at midnight there. So if you're in that area and you want to check it out, do so. Um, the Field Film Fest is Friday, March 30th in the Milwaukee area at Wauwatosa West High School. It's a uh, film fest that I started with uh, Waukesha College. And, and some other people, and the students have taken over. They've been running it now for four years, and it's a short film festival. It runs a couple of hours, Friday the 30th. Uh, go check out the Field Film Fest. You can uh, find it on Google, and if you're in the area, please uh, come and attend. All right, enough. Back with my guest, Mr. Doug Richardson. Um, here we are. And here we are. So, well, let's ask this then. I mean, we've been talking about... Um, uh, independent writing and and publishing. We've been talking about screenplays and and um, uh, novels. What do you see as the future for writers in Hollywood? Um, well, I think the future is very bright for writers of film and television, whether it's in Hollywood or not. <laughs> it depends on how far down the road Hollywood seems to be uh, very very slow to adapt. To the you know the changing world outside of it, there's this very vibrant world of of writers and directors and actors and such that seem to be living outside of Hollywood, getting their their pictures and webisodes and such made and up on, on the air and building followings. Um, I think that's part of the future of Hollywood because Hollywood's going to be making is, is going to be a little bit like the publishing business. The way they look into independent writing, they're going to be looking at the independent filmmaking outside of Hollywood and and trying to find what is going to be a success out there and pluck those people from the indie world and bring them back into the inside Hollywood fold. Um, and you know, for writers in Hollywood, I just think, uh, and I'm sure you've heard this so many different times, but no, you know, nothing. You know, movies are not made from whole cloth. Movies are not made because a director, you know, has a, a notion and then just gets a crew and a cast and they go out and they make them. Movies are written, and television shows, especially television shows, are written. You know, TV is run by writers, and so should the film business, in my opinion. But still, they they need scripts, they need stories, they need, and more importantly, they need new voices. You know, someone with a new idea, fresh take, uh, a different point of view. I think that's the that's the future of Hollywood. Um, and and uh, and those people who are willing to take risks on on new stories or new genres, uh, uh, people willing to really, you know, at the 
it's a really worn out term, but it makes sense, which is people willing to push the envelope, uh, try and get you to look at that same story but in a different way. I mean, just just keep those voices and keep keep writing them because of you know they're you know, they 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 really truly do need scripts. They act like they don't based on the the stuff you see on screen <laughs> that that they don't need scripts, but but they really really do, and and they're going to need them even more in the future once they continue to kill the golden goose with you know. More movies like John Carter, uh, um, you know, where they spend wow. a gazillion dollars, and I, you know, I haven't seen the film. I don't know if it's any good or stuff, uh, and and I don't want to disparage that movie, but I'm just saying, you know, when you when you when a studio inde- endeavors <clears throat> a quarter of a billion dollars into a single movie, uh. You're kind of you're kind of killing the idea that you know how how many other films could you have made for that money and distributed that could have been far more entertaining and and employed a lot more people and expanded your brand and uh, and and the business itself and and the art form. That's kind of what's sad. That's I, I didn't want to disparage again the movie itself. I'm just about the actual cost. There, there is, is still a finite number of dollars any studio can put into development and production any year, and those dollars are are way, way down. So they need to be spending them a, a bit smarter. Oh, that's that's uh, again a, a good advice. I couldn't I couldn't uh, agree with you more. When. Um, when you, I'm going to jump here very, very quickly Please, jump. Um, to uh, writing for production and navigating the pitfalls of of of, of writing. When you've got experience, for example, on Bad Boys and Hostage, writing on the set. Mm-hmm. How does how, can you can you address that for us? When when you're writing on the set, uh, yeah, yeah. Just make sure it's a very light laptop. <laughs> because you you you'd be surprised the 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 places the how few places there actually are to hide when you're trying to fix that scene that they're stuck shooting mm-hmm. at that at at that moment. Uh, writing on the set, I mean, I've written on you know, Bad Boys. There, we were writing it on Monday and shooting it on Wednesday. And on Hostage, it wasn't quite like that, but I was uh, I was still part of the process and was still there. On the set all day long to 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 tweak and and assist. You know, the the I think the most important thing I would say the most important thing for a writer to know when they're on a production is uh, the director is nervous. <laughs> Aside from all the things that a director has to do, um, the director is is aware sometimes too much so that. There's someone else there who might know the movie better than he does, even though he has it in his head. And directors are very suspect that what the writer wants to do is actually be the director. So it's very hard for them to trust the writer sometimes uh, in such a way 
where it can be a real collaborative thing. So I think once production begins, it's very important for the writer to pretty much let the director know, I don't want to direct this movie. I need you to direct this movie really well. So I need you I need you to know I'm not here to interfere. I'm not here to make it hard for you. I'm not here to to get in your way. I'm here to help wherever help is needed. I've done my my primary job, which is get the movie written and get it here and get it to the spot where we're actually shooting. Now I'm I'm you know, I'm Mr. Goodwrench and you need to treat me as Mr. Goodwrench and not like the guy who really, really would rather be doing your job. And if a director knows that, then I think writing on the set is really easy. Because it's you know, there's a command structure and you know, it's the writer's job to kind of fix it or change the scene or make the new scene work or oh they just fired that actor so I've got to give this dialogue to somewhere else because it's it's a very you know, there's plot involved in that dialogue. Um, but that's the primary thing I believe is, is, you know, I mean here on, on, on a movie like Bad Boys, uh, it was, you know, I, I don't think Michael Bay really sort of, it was his first movie and Michael's since grown quite a bit, but I don't think Michael really knew what the writer was there to do, that I was there to really kind of help. I think I was the guy who. I think he suspected that I knew the movie better than he did, and I had probably been with the movie as long or longer than he did. And and when certain department heads are listening to you instead of the director, that's when they get upset. Uh, uh, where on a movie like Hostage, it was a very, very liquid process where everyone was sort of picking up and trying to do what they possibly could. And the director knew that I had no intention of directing the movie. I didn't want to direct the movie. I was there to... You know, to to help. That's sort of my writing on the set primer. <laughs> well, that's cool. That's cool. How about uh, TV writing? Is there uh, you've done TV writing as well? I have not done television writing. I've not had a show uh, on the air yet, so I cannot really speak to writing for television and production. I certainly would love to. I would. I've. I'd love to get a show in the air. I continue to try and get shows in the air, and with luck, I will. And uh, and then I'd have a lot more to say about it. Well, but, but I do, but, I do know the writer's well, in charge. Well, what I mean is, but have you developed things for television as opposed to film? Yes. And and how does that process differ? If you're going to write for, a, say, a pilot or a TV movie, I mean, is there? Make it shorter. I mean, seriously, that's. That's all it is. It, the, the process for me is absolutely no different whatsoever, other than making it shorter and the obvious, you know, act breaks that are in television because of uh, because of the commercial breaks. You know, they don't want people switching channels, so you've got to, you know, turn your act breaks into mini cliffhangers uh, to to make people to keep people from you know using that remote control. Uh, while the commercials, you know, going on. But aside from that, you know, it's a, it's a, you know, your your average hour show on on television is a, you know, forty two minute little movie. So you just need to make a, you know, you need to make your story shorter and you need to get your stuff done quicker. Of course, there's also the issues in production, whether it's film or TV, of 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 
the, the general production issues, which are you know the primary overriding issue when you're writing for film or TV on the set is budget. You know, obviously, TV the budget's lower. You just can't write. You you need to. You, you just can't write. The joke was you can't write a thousand guys coming over the hill because they just can't afford a thousand guys coming over the hill. Or today they can't afford to CGI the thousand guys coming over the hill if you're working on a, on a TV show. And the idea that you need to be aware of of bundling your 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 scenes around locations because you can't move the crew for every two page scene. When the next two page scene comes up, you can't move the crew, you know, twenty five miles to where the next two page scene is, or else you're not going to get the show shot in the seven or eight or nine days that you have to to shoot it in. So those are some of the obvious concerns when writing for TV too. Oh, very cool, very cool. I have a. I think I have a question. I'm not sure if it's a question or a statement in the chat room. <laughs> Should I be worried? Uh, no, no. But the Gaffer Girl said, wondered about that screenwriter-director connection and how that worked. And I don't know if if that's to sum if that meant to sum that up, or if if they're actually asking for more information regarding uh, uh, the screenwriter that wants to be the director or the screenwriter versus the director connection. I suspect it's just, I I think it's the screenwriter versus the director. Well, you know, yeah. directors the the writer is you is usually if he's still the original or first writer on the movie, he's usually the inventor of the movie, the inventor of the story. He's you know, and everything after what the writer does is a is an interpretive art. But in film, for some strange reason, uh, the culture is such where it's considered a director's medium and not a writer's medium. Uh, even though television is a writer's medium and theater is a writer's medium and publishing is obviously a writer's medium, but for some reason, film, uh, it's not. So uh, directors uh, come in, they think of themselves as artists and auteurs, and they. They, you know, and, and in some regards, they need to. They need to take possession and ownership of the story themselves. Uh, they certainly like to, and they certainly love to put their name above the title and take authorship credits on movies. So when they come to a movie with that kind of assumption, um, it's sometimes very difficult to deal with the original inventor of the story. Uh, how's the director going to make it his movie? And oftentimes, the first thing a director does is fire the writer. That's how he makes it his movie. And uh, it's a mistake, uh, more often, I think, than not. But it's so common. And I've been in that spot so many times. When I, you know, see, here comes the director who's, you know, he's coming on the movie. He's been hired to make the movie, and you've been on the movie for a year. And you can sort of see it and feel it in the room where they're trying to figure out how they can take control of the process. When you understand the movie, you're more underneath the movie than they are. They don't look at you as a tool uh, or someone to help them. Uh, they look at, as, at the writer oftentimes as a threat. So they want to bring in that writer they worked with last time who they know isn't threatening. And a lot of directors have these writers in their back pockets. Who they worked with, and they want to bring that guy in because you know that he knows that guy is not going to try and push him out of the director's chair. So, it's 
it's an old story and it just seems to go on and on and on. It never it it never ends to this day. Uh directors they want to move the writer off the movie and bring someone else in. And a lot of bad movies are made that way. Because the yeah, last I, thing a, a director needs is a writer who's going to be just a complete cipher for anything the director says. I'm glad you brought that up because politics does play such an important role in getting films made, especially inside a studio system. Not that it doesn't happen in the indie world, but I mean, it, it just is one of those. I, I'm glad you addressed that. Um, it has been said that you know TV is the producer's medium. And, and oftentimes the, the, the showrunners are the writers or the producers of the television show, and the directors are the guns for hire. You know, they rotate in and out. So mm-hmm. it's called a producer's medium, whereas film is considered a director's medium. I, I counter that somewhat in that typically, unless the producer, I mean, uh, typically, especially in the anywhere, unless somebody has written their own screenplay and wants to direct it, typically it's a producer who finds a screenplay and will develop it or or pay somebody to write it um you know or a writer might do this he might he might be the starting point or she might be the starting point of it but but ultimately it starts outside the hands of a director and very few directors get final cut you know except you know really a handful so technically the film when it's all said and done has kind of been taken from the writer taken from the director and then it's up to the the producer the distributing company to decide you know what the movie is and how they're going to release it Definitely. That's very true. So, I mean, directors seem to have this, like, God-wielding power, but but in reality, unless they're a handful of those who have final cut, they really aren't. But at the same time, they, they can the politics are such that it is set up in their favor. In other words, if I produce a great movie, it's more likely the director's going to get hired than the producer's going to get hired again. Yes, yes, very, very much so. But we're... Where it leans towards the director on a movie and where producers and even studios don't have that much to say is that the lion's share of the money that you're spending on the movie is in production. And if right. that and and that director uh while in production, that director has the majority of the control over the movie because studios and distributors and producers are loath to change horses midstream. Right. Right. And right. so during that period of time, when the cameras are rolling to where cameras wrap, because that's where the lion's share of the dough is being spent, um, that's where the directors have so much control. Even though they don't have final cut uh, uh, and or any other say after they get their 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 you know turn in their version of of the film uh-huh. it's still a lot of their version of the film that they just that the studio has to work with right because it was that oh, guy yeah. setting up the shot that guy directing the actor that guy deciding to let the actor go on or off script that day right or or allowing the actor to go on or off script that day and uh you know it's his hires it's his dp it's his crew he's chosen the location He's decided that that the sky that day needed to be red instead of blue, and those are huge decisions oh, on sure. how a movie comes off. So even though they may not have final cut, you know they it's all their stuff that's in the editing room. Well, that was that was I was going to add to that. Yeah, no, absolutely, it's it's what they shot ultimately that gets turned in. Mm-hmm. So you know, you're, absolutely. 
Um, you know, we have uh, about nine minutes left on the outside, and I'm certainly enjoying this. And I want to mention again that your web uh, site is DougRichardson.com. It's your name. It's D-O-U-G-R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N.com. You've got a fabulous blog there as well, and uh, and people should go check that out and should visit it and and should subscribe to your to your blog. And also, um, I, may, may I add, if anybody is on Twitter like you are, Rex, yes, yes, uh, I'm also on Twitter, and most of what I have to say and uh, and shout outs about my blog and other people's blogs and other places people should go, which where they can read a lot or learn a lot or get a lot of laughs. Uh, you can get by following me on Twitter, which is at by Doug Rich. Uh, by Doug Rich is the by Doug Rich because some other jerk got at Doug Richardson. So <laughs> before I I got to to Twitter, I did get to the dot com before that person. But if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's by Doug Rich. And you also have a, a fan or friend page on Facebook. There's a Facebook fan page and a Facebook Doug page. And it seems to be people find me on both. It, it, it turns out, but there is a fan page on Facebook that is updated weekly with uh, with primarily the blog stuff. But uh, it, once you know the website and you go there, and if you sign up for email alerts, then just like your you know your site, people can find out the email what's going on with you and when you have a new blog up or when you have a new guest on or whatever. Right, very. That's very cool. That's very cool. Um, in the in the last remaining nine minutes, I don't know that that gives you a, a fair amount of time. I want to say first off, I'd love to have you back sometime soon. You know, to, to continue continue the discussion. Um, but in the in the remaining minutes we have, I kind of want to open it up. I know I didn't mention this to you, but kind of open it up to anything, any of the thoughts that you might wish to to share or talk about, or people always want to know what's coming up or what's next or any of that kind of stuff. So. Um, um, what's just coming up? What you know? Well, you know, writers. You know, we have always have a lot of balls up in the air. You're always juggling, you know, project to project. It, you sort of wish you could just do one thing at a time. Uh, I have no movies in the pipeline. I have something I'm writing for Imagine right now that hopefully will be in the pipeline within a few months. But we shall see. In the meantime, uh, I'm focused. Uh, on the fiction business, uh, which I've reinvested in and I'm very happy to be doing. I sort of let that go for a few years, but now I'm back into making sure I have a new book out every year. And my new book, the book The Safety Expert's available right now, and my new book Blood Money will be should be available in October if I don't, you know, <laughs> if I get the work done, let me put it that way. Sure. No, I hear you. But well, uh, I, 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 it, 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 it should be ready to be read by then. And, uh, but aside from that, uh, I have nothing to pimp or promote. Well, that's okay. Let me ask you this because I know people, I know people are, are, are thinking it because in your bio and it talks about the the screenplay selling for a million dollars and and. Uh, uh, and okay, what? How? How does something like that happen? I mean, in other words, in, in a, obviously we're not going to have a fear. And, and it'll happen again. Well, the the market has to be right, you know. Well, what I yes, and, and but what I mean is is, can you kind of 
tell walk us through how you got that job i mean in other words had you been writing on spec scripts prior to that or how i mean how does how i'd did, written how do i'd written enough spec scripts prior to that i had just it was right around the time uh die hard was you know die hard 2 was greenlit um uh-huh. so my profile was very high uh and spec scripts were just, you know, really heating up the spec script market again. It's an, there's a real ebb and flow in how Hollywood acquires material, and you know when their development stinks. Uh, after a couple of years, suddenly they begin looking outside of, you know, their development system to to purchase scripts, and so they go on these buying binges. And I think we got lucky. Uh, the script that sold for a million dollars was called Hell Benton Back, and I co-wrote it with. My former agent and friend Rick Jaffa, who uh, had the had the the brainy idea of this of uh, uh, you know this germ of, of of an idea that he and I pretty much turned into kind of a World War II romp, and uh, we wrote it very quickly. Um, and Rick actually had a day job at that time, working as an executive at a at a at a mini studio. So I was. Writing before he came and writing after he he left and then uh, and we we wrote it very very quickly and and it went on the market uh, at a time where you usually don't even want to put scripts on the market um, you know I, I'm trying to remember when it went on the market but it was uh it was in August yeah and you really that's usually a terrible time to put a script on the market because of uh, of so many people are out of town and they're not reading and they're on vacation and and stuff, but we uh, we put the script on the market, and it was one of those wonderful bits of timing where everyone wanted it and wanted it very quickly. And someone at that point, when everyone wants it, someone's going to make a very high preemptive bid. And in in our case, it was Disney, and it, you know they paid us a million dollars for the script, and then all hell broke loose in the spec script world. Uh, suddenly scripts were selling for a million and a half dollars and then they were selling for two million dollars and then they were selling for four million dollars. I think someone got, I think the highest was four and a half million dollars I think someone got. I think Tom Sheldon got that for the stand. Uh, but uh, anyway, that sort of, you know, was a, a bit of a, it was, you know, those were good scripts written by good writers but there there were some some market forces at work. That's awesome. I mean, that is that is amazing, and and the fact that things are cyclic, I think, uh, inspires everyone. You know, whenever I always say, you know, millionaires are made. You know, in in I mean, I'm not the only one, but millionaires are made in recessions and depressions. You know, and so in the downturn, you know, oftentimes that's where we find our creative people, and uh, you know, and it always it always tends to kind of ebb and flow or come back around in some way. So that's that's inspiring to know, uh, you know. What you just said there regarding that, so I and appreciate if, that. If if I can add one little thing about that, because sure. I I tend to like these how I, I tend to like little wraparounds with stories and and context. I did not write a spec script for a few years after that, and when I finally got around to writing another spec script and having time to write one and put it on the market on the Monday following the Friday when I put the script on the market, Variety had a headline on the front page that said spec scripts sales from heyday to mayday 
I mean, it, and <laughs> by the time I put that sec, that that spec script following the million dollar one on the market, I mean, you couldn't get your spec script read. You couldn't get it bought, and uh, and and just to get some perspective on on how those market forces can work for you. As far as writers are concerned, you really can't control that. You just got to go on, write the next one, and see what happens. Well, that's awesome. I guess, you know, we are uh, – that is absolutely awesome. I, I, now, the Gaffer Girl said to tell Doug that Jeannie says hi. And that's okay. all the information I have from the chat room. <laughs> that's Thank all you, I Gaffer know. Gaffer Girl. So I, I uh, thank you, Jeannie, for saying hi. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, I, but Doug, I appreciate this very, very much. This has been um, uh, an awesome time being spent with you in discussing writing. We've got comments on Twitter and different places about people enjoying the show, and and I and I certainly have. So I, I thank you for being here this morning. Um, Everybody should check into your works. The, the novels on air on, on online they're all available. Correct at, at Amazon. That's correct. They can all get, I'll get them. And it's Doug Richardson and DougRichardson.com and and by Doug Rich at Twitter. And Doug, thank you so much. I'm going to call you in just a few minutes and and, and chat for a couple seconds. And uh, just so you know, I don't think I mentioned that before, um, but now I'm going to end up closing out the show. And uh, I thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Rex. It was a pleasure. Oh, you bet. All right. Bye-bye. Again, fascinating, fascinating guest today, Mr. Doug Richardson. I really do appreciate him being here and sharing so much because, again, you know, uh, whether it's the indie world or the uh, studio world, uh, there's there's so much for us to learn, to understand, to uh, appreciate, to uh, change, you know, and so whenever we have – you know the opportunity to have guests on as we do you know and and can um help dispel myths or or give tips and suggestions or advice or or share what it's like you know in the trenches um that to me is is what it's all about and and why we do the show movie beat is really a resource for you and and that's why i'm connecting up with people like doug who are making it happen so uh, i thank you for listening i hope you will leave comments before you leave the player today there's a, a a comment window underneath the blog talk player and if it's not there while you're looking at it right now live or archived then when the player closes down, the show ends, there will be a window there for you to leave comments. Please don't go away without leaving a comment about the show. If you like the information and you love my guest, please do comment. Also, rate and review the podcast if you get these from iTunes. There's almost 300 hours of programming there available. It's a, has been called the Masterclass of Filmmaking you know, at your fingertips, so, so please do go ahead and subscribe. Um, I've got many more exciting guests coming up in the future. Please stay tuned, and please do keep sharing uh, this website and these interviews with all your friends and your contacts. You can become a member. I, sh- I should say you can become a friend of Rex Ike's Movie Beat Friends on Facebook. Uh, go ahead and click the like page there and become a friend. And you can follow me on Twitter. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT. It's Rex Sykes Movie BT. If you don't, if this is one of the first times you're listening and you don't follow myself or you don't follow Doug or any of my guests, please take a moment and, and do so. Uh, friend us and uh, and then help spread the word. We appreciate it. All right, everybody, uh, have a fabulous day. Make your movies, complete your projects, and until we meet the next time, that's a wrap. <laughs>